Amen. Anybody come to worship Jesus this morning? Amen. He is to be lifted high in all the earth. I'm so excited to be gathered with you on this last day, not just this last Sunday, but this last day of the year. Uh, This morning I got up and I don't know, man, it's something about the last day of the year that caused me to be really reflective of uh, the year. And, you know, it's the Lord has been faithful through 2017. I, I don't man, I'm not saying that things have all worked out well. But what I am saying is the Lord has been faithful through 2017. Amen. And, you know, the, the greatest um, one of the greatest ways you saw the faithfulness of God is how he was faithful to you even in times of unfaithfulness to him. You know, I, I know, you know, some of y'all deep, some of y'all so spiritual. You've been, you've been, you know, faithful to him 365 days of the year. But then there's another group of us that at least five or ten of those days we done messed up. And the Lord didn't cut us off. It was nothing but his grace and nothing but his mercy. I'm excited about that. I hope you guys had a good Christmas. We're coming off the hills of Christmas. Good time with your loved ones, with your family members. Uh, I have been reflecting all week about God's faithfulness, but also been really preparing and pushing myself through prayer and through really setting goals. I, I don't really do New Year's resolutions, but I like to set some type of goals for, uh, for myself, for, for the family, for the church. And uh, I, I don't know how you guys do, but man, I, I've just been spending all week just praying about what 2018 looks like. And I'm excited to be able to go into another year. And anytime you get to see another year, it really is nothing but God's grace. Because I'm telling you, January 1st, 2016, I should have died. But God allowed you to see all the way to December 31st, and I'm just grateful. Uh, Speaking of of another year, we kind of talked about it, but our solemn assembly fast is coming up, and would love to just give a couple of quick quick pastoral um, reflections on our solemn assembly. If you've never fasted before, uh, it's okay. This is your first time, and we're excited that you're going to do that corporately with us as a church. We do have these cards that we ask that you would pick up on your way out. They are on our hospitality table, uh, and they really do, they, they, I mean, they, they, all the information is here. The times of the fast, what a fast is. You can read about what a fast is. It even has some scripture, scriptural uh, references. You can ask around about people, uh, that people that have fasted. Ask about what a fast is. You can ask me about what a fast is. And it really is a spiritual discipline that my hope is that it will push us through the year. This should not be our only fast for 2018, but it's something that uh, it, we should set the rhythm really for what 2018 looks like. Uh, our schedule is on here as well. If I can just quickly go over it, because tomorrow is uh, technically New Year's, we typically start our fast from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. every single day this week, uh, but we're altering it a little bit for Monday. So Monday we'll start at 12. Start at 12 to 6, and then every day after that is 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And that literally means turning your plate down, no eating from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. I do recognize that some of you are taking meds or stuff like that, so if you need to eat a meal, that's fine, but we still would ask that you try to skip a meal. Uh, But going further than just food, we also want you to really disconnect from anything that divides your attention through the week. So social media, we ask that you would turn all social media off, Uh, internet browsing outside of work-related internet browsing. We ask that you would disconnect from that. And you will see, you will pick up how much of your time is divided through the week by disconnecting. And you'll be antsy to get back to, like, you'll be looking at your app going, man, I should click on this Instagram right now. I delete the app because I I just, you know, I know myself. I'm going to click on it. 
Uh, and so, you know, I don't know, you're, you're just a little bit more spiritual than me, so you can look at the app and keep moving. I can't do that. Uh, but maybe you can. So uh, really try to disconnect from, from, from anything. And I'm doing, I'm taking away coffee, whatever you are always into throughout the week. Uh, try to change up that time instead of being in that, being prayer, be in your word, uh, be with other believers, talking about uh, the work of Jesus Christ. Here's our schedule. Monday again, 12, we'll start. Uh, at night, we ask that you guys would spend time praying with your families or by yourself if you live alone. Uh, Tuesday, we will be on a conference call. If you grab these, the number of the conference call and the code for the conference call is on here. So that'll be uh, Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. Wednesday, we will meet here at the church. I really, really, really want to encourage everybody to be here at 7 p.m. sharp because at 7 p.m. sharp, we will be on our knees in what we call the prayer lights. So dim the light so that we're all uh, really just pleading out to the Lord. And then uh, not just, it's not just a prayer time, but it, it's not Bible study either. It is prayer and testimony service. So what do I mean? We're literally going to have some mics set up here. So we'll pray. And then, oh man, we just want to hear from you if you got a testimony of what the Lord, how the Lord has been faithful in 2017, but also you have prayer requests going into 2018. We want to hear them. So this is our chance to allow you guys to speak into, um, into, into the church. And so we'll be praying testimony service will be on Wednesday. And then Thursday, we ask that you guys at night and in the evening would try to break the day's fast with your DNA partner if you can. So we want pockets spread out all throughout Brooklyn to where you're getting with somebody else that is another believer that you guys can talk about uh, what the Lord is, is laying on your heart throughout this fast. And then Friday, finally, you uh, will we'll break the fast at 6 p.m. and the fast will be over. We ask that you guys will break that with other believers as well. So I hope you guys are excited about it. I personally am very excited about it. And so I'm looking forward to seeing what the Lord is going to do. And again, listen, we're not fasting for cars and homes and materialistic stuff. We are fasting to align ourselves with the Lord. Fasting to get on his page. So often we want him to get on our page, but we are fasting to get on the Lord's page. And in reality, his page is always vastly different than our page. His plans are always vastly different than our plans. And sometimes we can't figure what, what his plans are, but fasting really gets us in tune. So I'm excited about that. Well, I'm eager to preach, so get your Bibles. Meet me in Mark chapter 2. Man, it's funny, for the last uh, few weeks, we've been in the Gospels, in e either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, uh, because of our Advent ser uh, series, and a huge piece of me tried to get myself in the Old Testament. I wanted to do a sermon today on something in the Old Testament, one of the prophets, or even do something with one of the epistles in the New Testament, something that wasn't a narrative uh, in terms of the Gospels, but... The Lord kept drawing me back to Mark chapter 2 all week long, Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, and uh, I took that as a sign that that's where the Lord wanted us. And so if you have your Bibles, if you're there or your devices, pick me up in verse number 1. Quick disclaimer that the town that's in this, uh, in this passage, you've heard me normally, if, I, if, I've, uh, if you've heard me talk about this town, I usually say Capernaum. Uh, I went over to Israel and when I went to Israel, I actually went to Capernaum, and I got to Capernaum, and I was like, man, I'm so excited to be in Capernaum. And the locals there laughed at me and said, what is Capernaum? It's Capernaum. And I was, you know, I was a little offended, you know, but, you know, they corrected me. So I, I want to floss my, my Israeli, you know, juices today. It's Capernaum is what we're going to be saying. It's not two different cities. Anyway, verse 1. 
And when he had returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, talking about Jesus. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had, le- they had made an open and they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Verse 5, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. Underline this question. It's so important. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 8, and immediately Jesus perceived perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Look at verse 12. And he arose immediately picking up his bed, and went out, please underline these words, before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. I want to preach this afternoon on our last day together, last Sunday together in 2017. I want to preach principles for 2018. Let's pray. Father, pray that you would grant me the ability to preach your word with boldness and with clarity and with uh, passion and with zeal. I'm thinking about uh, your word in Jeremiah 48.10 that says, Cursed is he who does the work of the Lord with slackness. Pray this morning that I wouldn't be slow in your word, but I would be uh, zealous to preach only what the word of God has to say. Nothing more, nothing less. As we walk through these 12 verses, someone walked in today depressed. Someone walked in today not having a good 2017. Someone walked in today with relationship issues. Someone walked in today with a death of a loved one and a family member hanging over them and bereavement. And some walked in here not knowing where finances are going to come from. And Lord, I just pray that you would remove all, all of the distractions so that we can focus on Jesus this morning. As the text shows us, and we pray that Jesus would be the hero of the text. That no other characters in the text would be, get more glory than Jesus, but he would get the glory this morning. It is in Christ's name, in Christ's name alone we pray. Let everybody say amen. amen. I'm convinced that anybody can draw a crowd. Hip-hop artists can draw a crowd. Um, musicians typically can draw a crowd. Talk show hosts, athletes can pack arenas. Even Donald Trump can draw a crowd. And I'm not convinced that with people drawing crowds, I'm not really impressed by it. Here's what I'm impressed by, what you do with the crowd when they get there. And most of the time when crowds are drawn in, excitement is in the air. If you go to a football game or a basketball game, if you go right now and it's packed in the arena, it's usually high energy. In our text this morning or this afternoon, We have the same thing. We have a huge crowd that is packed into this house. And the crowd is so packed into the house. Verse 2 literally says that there's no room even at the door. That means you can't even get into, into the house. And high energy is in the room. And they're there for one reason and one reason alone. 
because Jesus is in Capernaum and they want to see him perform miracles. He just got finished in chapter one preaching in Galilee. After he got finished preaching in Galilee, he performed some miracles in chapter one in Galilee and word must have spread all the way to Capernaum. And finally, he gets to Capernaum in this house, which many commentators suggest is Peter's house. He gets in this house and they want to see what all the hype is about. All fire marshal laws have been broken. There are people hanging out of the window. It is jam packed and they are there again to see Jesus. Let's see what Jesus does with this crowd because he typically does what we normally wouldn't do with the crowd. Let's look at the text together. Verse one, it says, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported to him that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. Dearly beloved, this is how it should be. People should be packed in and drawn, hear me, to Jesus. They are not packed into this house because Peter's house is so dope or Peter had some, you know, some extreme house makeover. They are not packed into this place because of marketing or because of social media. They are packed into this place to see one person and one person alone, and that is Jesus Christ. And this is how it should be. Yes, this has a corporate call to us as a church. In 2018, Epiphany Church, hear me. There is no other reason for people to be drawn to this church outside of Jesus. If people are drawn here because we have great child care, listen, that's not the drawing factor. People shouldn't be drawn here because of great music and great singing. People should be drawn, or they're drawn here because of you. They should be drawn here because of Jesus. And then, you know, many churches, many modern churches will often try to draw people by unworthy means. We'll try to draw people by advertising our favorite preachers, and we'll try to advertise, uh, you know, we don't even have glitz and glams here. You know, there are some churches that your kid after child care will be ziplined to you back after service. We don't have any, we don't have any glitz and glams. You got to go to the door and pick up your kid in a small little room. We do the best we can. But here's what the drawing factor should be. Jesus and Jesus alone. And hear me, I'm often, often tempted to try to draw people by other means, my own self. I want to draw people by social media posts, but we don't have time for that. In 2018, Jesus Christ must be the drawing factor. Here's what John says in John chapter 12, verse 32. Here's what Jesus says in John 12, 32. If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Jesus Christ in the text is the drawing factor. And if he's the drawing factor in the text and he's the drawing factor of our church, can we all agree you're not the drawing factor, factor of why people come here? I know you look nice today. You look cute. You got your nice little things on. It's, first of all, it's too cold to be cute, but whatever. Got your things on today. No one is here to see you. We're here to see Jesus. The presence of our king is why people are drawn. Not the presence of our favorite preacher, the presence of our favorite singer, the presence of the great music. That is not what draws people. It might draw them, but it's not what keeps them. The gospel of Jesus Christ alone is what keeps people. And so in our text, they're drawn to Jesus. And this is why one of our core values at the church, I don't know if you've checked our website, but our main core value here at Epiphany Church is Christ-centeredness. 
We, we, we don't do that because we have nothing else to talk about and preach about and sing about. We do that because we haven't found anything better than Jesus to talk about and preach about and sing about. Jesus should be the drawing factor because in our text, the king is what draws people. And so Jesus sees the crowd in this house and he's not he's undeterred by their expectations their expectations is that they want to come into this house to see Jesus for him to do some miracles. But Jesus, I love Jesus, because Jesus, he goes against what they expected. They expected miracles, but look at what Jesus does in the text. Verse 2. And many were gathered together so that there was no room even at the door. Here's what he's doing. And he was preaching the word to them. Like, imagine this. You have Jesus there, the one who can perform miracles. And instead of performing, like if that's me, if I'm Jesus, I would have increased my celebrity status in Capernaum. I would have popped off a few miracles, had the crowd eating out of my hand. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus sees the crowd and preaches a miracle. He preaches the word. And when we, now what we don't know is what Jesus preached. The text doesn't tell us that. But if you use supporting texts, we normally can figure out what Jesus preached because Jesus preaches here what he always preaches, the gospel of God. Where am I getting that from? If you go back to chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, please mark those. If, you have a, if you're in your Bible or you have your app or you, you have your device, whatever, just go back to chapter 1 and mark 14 and 15. The reason I'm saying that because in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, it says Jesus came to Galilee. Here it is, proclaiming the gospel of of God. And what's interesting is the gospel surrounds itself around Jesus. Only Jesus can preach himself and not be narcissistic because Jesus understood that he was the only way. Jesus sees the crowd and he begins to preach a message which was consistent with Jesus, with Jesus ministry overall. Whenever Jesus saw a crowd, you normally know a sermon is going to follow. Remember when he was on the shores of Galilee and he's standing there and a great crowd comes around him and he gets in Peter's boat and uses Peter's boat as a as a pulpit to preach a message. And if preaching was essential, essential to Jesus ministry, can we agree that preaching has to be essential to the church? You cannot come in here and just surround ourselves around worship. Yes, we do that. But the climax of our service of our service is this moment right here. You need a word for your soul, which is why there are often times that I disconnect myself from preaching and I sit my little self down and I take notes and I sit under preaching myself. And the reason is because it's twofold. Number one, preaching saves the loss. Number two, it strengthens the found. So preaching is absolutely essential. And Jesus here is preaching the gospel. What is the gospel? Y'all know I'm a one trick pony. The gospel is that you all are sinners and worse you're unable to save yourself. God is the opposite of you. He's holy and you needed somebody to bridge the gap between your sinfulness and God's holiness. And Jesus is the solution to that problem. Jesus comes and dies on behalf of you and in that moment gives you his righteousness and, and, and takes on your sin, is condemned in your place. This is the message that Jesus would have preached while people packed into the house and one of the things I love about Jesus, that's what he always, 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 always does. So the Bible says that in Romans chapter, uh, I think it's Romans chapter 10, the Bible says, you know, really, Paul says a few things. He says, 
who, he says, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he pops off four questions. He says, how can they call on him in whom they have not believed? Second question, how are they to believe in whom who they have not heard? Here's the third question and very explicit. How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And then he finishes by saying, how beautiful are the feet of those that carry the gospel. Do not underestimate, underestimate this moment of us preaching. And, you know, there's a few things that, that, that I know if I was in that time, I would have, if I was acting as a, as a church growth consultant to Jesus, I would have told Jesus, don't preach here. Use this moment as a moment of marketing. Use this moment as a moment of increasing your fame. But Jesus doesn't do that. He does the opposite. He sees the crowd and he begins to preach. There's a few things that you should commit yourself to in 2018. And one of them is sitting under, consistently sitting under faithful, biblical, gospel-centered preaching. Like, I wish I had deeper stuff for you on this last day of the year, but I just don't. That's... That's what the text is showing us this morning, that you should commit yourself to faithful preaching. There's a few principles that I want to pull out of this text, and it would behoove you to write them all down. There's four. First one is, is this, and you should write it down. First principle for 2018, sit under faithful preaching. Verse number three, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. In verses 1 and 2, it really sets the scene for what's happening. But in verses 3 through 5, it plunges into the drama of the text. Here you have, consider this, here you have, right in the middle of Jesus preaching, you have Four men bringing a paralyzed man and understand something about being a paralytic in ancient times. You know, in modern times, you can you can be a little independent, even though you're paralyzed. We've made great progress. But in ancient times, if you were paralyzed, you were helpless. You had no way of actually surviving on your own. You needed somebody's help, which is why the man at the pool of Bethesda sat for 38 years. Why did he sit for 38 years? Because he said, I have nobody to put me in. 38 years. And so you needed people if you were paralyzed to help you. In our text, in our text, we have four friends that are bringing this paralyzed man. They actually get him to the door and realize they can't get inside the door. They look at the windows and realize people are jam-packed into this house. And so what does the text say they do? They climb onto the roof of the house rip off the roof to let down the paralytic. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to climb a roof. One time, you know, Ty, Ty has a rock climbing uh, uh, membership at a spot in Park Slope, and every now and then she gets to bring a guest with her. So she brought me with her to this rock climbing pace, and, you know, I, I'm like, man, I'm going to kill this. This is easy. You know, I get inside, you know, I get inside this joint, and, and I start to try to climb on this rock, and a couple of things happened when I was climbing on that rock. First of all, in the middle of the rock, I was like, Lord, just take me now. Like... <laughs> Like, number one, I'm afraid of heights. Number two, them little nubs or them little crannies trying to get up to hold your body weight is nearly impossible. But here's what I know. When I consider this text, climbing on that rock by myself was hard. Imagine climbing on it with somebody on my back. In the text, the Bible doesn't say these four men climbed on the roof by themselves. 
It says they climbed and brought the paralytic, which was dead weight, brought him onto the roof and began to rip off the roof so that they could let down this friend. Now, many commentators suggest, again, that this is Peter's house. And the reason they say that is because if you go back to chapter 1 and verse 29, Jesus just healed Peter's mother-in-law at Peter's house. So they say that this is Peter's house. And here's what I know. Peter is the wrong person you want to break into his house. Like, you got a better chance breaking into Thaddeus' house, you know, breaking into Judas' house. He a little shady, breaking into his house. But Peter is like that drunk uncle that will cuss you out and cut your ear off at the same time. You don't want to mess with Peter. But I'm sure as Jesus is preaching and Peter is sitting there listening to Jesus preach, I'm sure when Peter looks up and begins to see the sky because the roof is being destroyed in his house, I know he's not thinking about homeowner's insurance. He's probably like, they can get these hands, but Jesus is here, so I'm going to lay low. They begin to rip off the roof of his house to let down the paralytic. Now, here's what the text doesn't say. The text does not say that these are four friends. It says that these are four men. But I think we can conclude by their actions that they are friends. I don't know if they're childhood friends. I don't know if they live in the same neighborhood with this paralytic. No matter what their relationship is, I think we all can say these are friends that will go through great lengths to bring their friend to Jesus. Principle number one of, for 2018 is that you should sit under faithful biblical preaching. Here's principle number two. Principle number two in 2018 is get friends that will take you to Jesus. You have no time for people that just tolerate you. You have no time to grow your Facebook friends. You need friends, first of all, friends that don't give you options. The only option is Jesus. Because if I got options, I'm going to pick something else. But you need friends that's not going to say, listen, let's wait on Jesus. But before Jesus come through, let's go to the club and let your hair down. No, you need friends that take you to Jesus and Jesus alone. Because here's what I know about friends. Friends have the ability to either pull you towards Jesus or take you away from Jesus. There is no middle ground with friends. They influence you in such a way that you, they stir your affections for Jesus or they pull you further from Jesus. You need friends that do not pass go, do not collect $200, but take you straight to Jesus. That's what you need. And, you know, I, I, I'm just wondering in this room, in 2017, did you have friends that will go through lengths like these four friends in the text that will literally, if you get down and out, they will rip the roof off to pull you to Jesus. That's what we need in this place. You don't need friends. And notice something else about these friends. These friends did not take him to the doctor. They, they could have because he's paralyzed. They did not take him to a therapist because he was depressed about being paralyzed. They didn't take him to a physician. They didn't take him to a herbal care specialist. They took him to Jesus, the only place that they knew that he was going to get long lasting healing. That is what you need. Friends that have no other options for you but the gospel, but Jesus Christ alone. So they go up on this roof and they rip off the roof. And I don't know how they did. I don't know if they had ropes or what, but they begin to lower this man into the area of where Jesus was. And like I talked about the man in the, in, in the pool of Bethesda, I said, he said, I have no one to put me into the pool. But here we have a paralytic that doesn't have one friend that takes him to Jesus. He got four of them. 
that all want to take him, that all speak the same gospel language. And that's what you need in 2018, a plethora of friends that all have the same agenda for you. And that is for you to look more like Jesus. You don't need four. You don't need three friends that pull you to him and one that pulls you away. You need all four that all pull you and rip off the roof in order to get you to Jesus. And here's what I know. Most preachers don't like to be interrupted. Jesus in our text is getting interrupted, but he's not frustrated. We're going to look at his response. Principle number one, 2018 principle number one, sit under faithful preaching. Principle two, uh, 2018 principle number two, get friends that will take you directly to Jesus. 2018 principle number three, take sin in your life serious in 2018. Like I've said across from, from too many people this year that play with their sin. They're too comfortable in their sin. I don't understand how Jesus-loving, professing believers are comfortable in sin. I'm not making these, these principles up. Look at the text, verse number five, which I'll argue, verse five is the greatest miracle in the text. Look at verse five. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, look what he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Notice something here. Jesus sees the demonstration of the four friends' faith and doesn't even talk to them. Nowhere in our text do we see Jesus talking directly to the four friends. You would think that Jesus would say, yo, that's crazy y'all did that. That's great. Amen. Praise God. Praise me. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus sees the faith of the four friends dropping down the paralytic, and Jesus speaks directly to the one that's paralyzed. And notice something here. The four friends, and I'm sure the paralytic, went there for physical healing. In verse 5, he's still paralyzed. But in verse 5, I said it's the greatest miracle because he gets saved in verse 5. His sins are forgiven in verse 5, which suggests to us this morning that your greatest issue is not an external one. Your greatest issue is a sin issue. It always is. Your greatest issue is not behavior. Your greatest issue is a heart issue. And Jesus looks at this man and doesn't, like I'm saying, in my mind, I'm saying, man, the greatest need this guy has is that he needs to walk. Jesus looks at him and says, no, the greatest need he needs is to be saved. He says, look at your sins. Your sins are forgiven. And all of this happens because of the faith of four friends. This is why I said it's very important. That's why one of the principles for 2018 is to get friends around you to take you to Jesus because he got a great, great miracle. And so your relationship isn't your issue in 2018. Your finances, that's not your issue in 2018. Your sin being conquered by the Holy Spirit, that is your greatest issue in 2018. So the text tells us this morning, listen, your New Year's resolution can't just be lose weight. Your New Year's resolution can't be just get a job. At the priority of your list is conquering that sin. That sin, that secret, like nobody knows it. You didn't tell anybody about it. You just internalize it and process it yourself. That sin needs to be destroyed by Jesus. Jesus sees the paralytic being lowered down, and he says, son. Notice this word, son, because son speaks to, he's not speaking to age. He's speaking to tenderness. He says, son, I care about you. Your sins are forgiven. Here's what Warren Worsby says. Forgiveness of sin is the greatest miracle Jesus ever performs. It meets the greatest need. It costs the greatest price. It brings the greatest blessing and most lasting result. 
Jesus sees this man and does not directly speak to his physical condition, but speaks first to his sin issue. Principle 2018, principle number one, sit under faithful preaching. 2018, principle number two, get friends that will take you directly to Jesus. 2018, principle number three, take sin in your life serious. Before I get to the last principle, let me do a little bit more work in the text, and then we'll get to the last principle, which is found in verse 12, and then I will let you guys go. Verse number six. It says, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. I love this question. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Notice here that the text now pulls us from focusing our attention on the four friends. It now pulls us from focusing our attention on the paralytic. Now the text pulls us to focus our attention on the scribes. What are scribes? Scribes were the theological scholars of that time. They were the religious elite. No one knew the Old Testament like the scribes and the Pharisees. And the Bible says that the scribes are there and they're questioning in their heart. They're saying, who can forgive sin but God? And here's what I know about their pondering. First of all, two things. Number one, what they are asking isn't actually audibly expressed. The Bible says they're pondering it in their heart. The second thing I know about this question that they're thinking about is it's an accurate question. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Let me make it a little bit more practical to you. Your mama can't forgive your sins. Your best friend cannot forgive your sins. Your greatest confidant and consultant cannot forgive your sins. Only God and God alone can forgive sins. And this is also showing us the deity of Christ. It's showing us the deity of Christ because Jesus responds to their unexpressed questions. They haven't expressed it verbally, and Jesus knows in, his, in their heart what they are thinking. Look at what the text says in verse 8. We're just working through the text. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves. Jesus in verse 8, the A part of verse 8 shows us that Jesus is absolutely God. Who else can sit in a room and say, I know what you're thinking? Only God can do that. And in the text, it says that the, Jesus responds to them. And what does he respond? Let's look back at the text, verse 8. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves and said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. The forgiveness of the paralyzed man's sin cannot be visibly seen. Now, the, now the healing, the physical healing, like two things happen in the text. He's forgiven of his sins, and he's healed from being paralyzed. But only one of them can be proven. You cannot prove that anybody has been, the word regenerated, has been changed, their heart has been changed. You cannot prove that. But I can prove if this man that was lame gets up and walks. And really what Jesus does here by saying, take up your bed and walk, when the entire packed house saw him get up and walk, it not only validates that Jesus has authority over physical illnesses, it also shows us that what he did in verse 5 is actually true. 
Because if Jesus says, take up your bed and walk, and the man continued to lay there, not only does Jesus not have power over the physical sin, but they would have questioned if he was able to forgive sins. But Jesus shows, I can forgive sins. You want to see how? Get up and walk. And this man literally gets up and begins to walk. 2018 principle number one, commit yourself to faithful preaching. Principle number two, get friends that will take you to Jesus. Principle number three, take your sins seriously. And the last principle, going into 2018, principle number four, bring God glory with your life. Look at verse number 12, and we'll end here on verse 12. And he arose and immediately picked up his bed. I love that. Immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God and glorified God and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Put yourself in this text. This paralyzed man is brought to the house by four friends. He is let down from the roof, but he walks out the front door. And he walks out because he has one encounter with Jesus. One encounter with Jesus caused the man that was not able to walk, being let down through the roof, to walk out the front door. Now keep in mind, this this house is packed, jammed. It's jam-packed. And so when this man gets up and walks, he literally has to bump people and say, excuse me, to get out of the house. People are physically feeling the effects that Jesus has had on his life. And then the text goes so far as to say they glorified God. In 2017, have you brought glory to God by your life? Your occupation, where you work, have you brought glory to God? Your relationships, have you brought glory to God? Some of you got married in 2017. Have you brought glory to God by your relationship? Your your relationships with non-believing friends, have you brought glory to God? Or did you take off Jesus to get comfortable? Or did you make them put on more of your Jesus? Have you brought glory to God by your actions in 2018? As you go home, before, 20, before midnight strikes tonight, I would make a list of how I'm going to bring God glory and what areas I can bring God glory in in 2018. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Some of you, for, for going into 2018, the greatest way you can bring God glory is to give your life to Jesus. What greater day to do it on than the la- What greater way to press the reset button than to give your life to Jesus today. And those of you who have trusted Jesus already, maybe you haven't brought God glory by your actions. Maybe you haven't brought God glory by your behavior or your interactions with friends and family members. Some of you, when it came to sharing the gospel with people that don't know Christ, some of you punked out. You punked out because you were scared of their questions. You were scared to come across as a Bible thumper. But I pray this morning that going into 2018, that we would apply these four principles found in the text, that we would commit ourselves to faithful preaching, that we would surround ourselves with, with friends that take us to Jesus. I pray that that our hearts would would genuinely, genuinely, genuinely be changed toward Jesus. And and here's the crazy thing. 
Some of you have gone through the religious rhythms of your life. Some of you that I'm talking to that may not know Jesus have been faithful to come into service every single, every single week. You've been faithful to small group. You've been faithful to DNA. You've been faithful on Sunday mornings. But you need to commit yourself to Jesus today. Pray that we would take sin seriously and we would be serious about bringing God glory with our life. Father, I pray this morning for every individual that is under the sound of my voice, Lord. Some have walked in here with heavy burdens going into 2018. I pray that you would lift them today. And that we would genuinely, genuinely seek out ways that we could bring you glory. Sometimes bringing you glory is painful for us. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes bringing you glory means that we have to make ourselves look foolish. I pray that you would give us strength this morning. Going into 2018, you would give us strength. Father, I pray for the one that doesn't know you. I, I, I genuinely feel that there's somebody, I'm not naive, somebody in here doesn't know you. but They just don't. They haven't trusted you. They know about you don't know you. Would you save them today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.